Reading from Mark 10, 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my, my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first amen thank you mary you can be seated. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you uh, for the truth of your word, that those who uh, make themselves first will be last. And you, Lord, who uh, you are first over all things, supreme over all things, and yet you made yourself last in order to show your great love and your character for us in serving us and dying on a cross for us. God, may your same Humility, your same graciousness, your same uh, power be at work in our hearts and minds. God, may your, may your spirit, uh, who raised Christ from the dead, be at work in us in such a way that our hearts are drawn to you and captivated by you. God, use, use this time that we share uh, to glorify you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. There is uh, something about wealth that captures our attention, is there not? We uh, are drawn to the rich and the famous. In the extreme examples, it makes the TV shows and the reality shows of extravagant homes and extravagant cars and vacation places and all kinds of lavish uh, parts of this world. Uh, but for the little bit more realistic parts of uh, life, we are also still drawn to Beautiful things, wealthy things, signs of wealth and status, whether it's a, just a, a new car or, or nice clothes or nice jewelry or, or some other thing around us, we're drawn to things of wealth. 
Maybe that's especially true in, in whatever your area of, of interest or expertise, whether it be at work or, or something, a hobby that you have, that if you see somebody who has things like you have but a little bit better, you're just kind of drawn to that. And you're, there's something about our hearts and the way we're wired. We just we long for the next thing, the next best thing. I, I noticed this in myself when uh, uh, one of the first things I notice about a home is if they have a nice uh, shed or shop behind the house. Now, I neither have enough woodworking tools or skills to warrant ever having a, a woodworking shop, but it looks like a cool idea to have a whole space devoted to being able to build stuff. That seems cool to me. So I, I laugh at myself because I will see this house and I won't notice anything about it, but I'll notice the shop behind it. And I'm like, wow, that is really looks, looks cool. What's it for you? Where is your heart drawn to, to, to wealth and to status and to the next best thing? Many of us are pulled by stuff, and yet I, I want to point out another tension that we have in our life, uh, another desire we have that often is held in tension with that. And that is our hearts are also drawn to things that are eternal. Ecclesiastes tells us God has put eternity into the heart's of all men. And so we have this longing that is about stuff that's not just about stuff. We have a longing for stuff that, that is eternal, stuff that's going to last. We have a desire for something beyond just this world. I mean, you're in church today, after all. This is not about stuff. You don't get stuff by coming here. So you long for something more than just stuff. There is a, a deep desire in us because we all recognize that this body will not last forever. And so we have a desire for what's to come. We have questions about that. We have a desire to, to, to pursue things that last. So oftentimes we are pulled in both directions. We like really nice material things, but we also know there's more to life than just meets the eye. We feel that tension in our life more in all kinds of different ways. I wonder if you, if you feel that. We all know it's not true that he who dies with the most toys wins. And yet when the new toy comes out, the new gadget, the new uh, technology step, the new car, whatever else it may be, when, when Amazon uh, advertises to you that thing that you searched for four weeks ago or just mentioned in a whisper to somebody and you're like, how did they even know I wanted that? And they tell you that if you order in the next two hours and 12 minutes, it can be here by tomorrow. Your heart is just like drawn to that. And yet we know there's more to life than this. We can feel that tension. We meet a man in Mark chapter 10 who I think was experiencing that kind of tension, a tension between the stuff of this world and the stuff that's not just of this world. We're walking through the second half of the gospel of Mark and we're calling it the King's Cross because we see that this is Jesus who is the King and He is on a journey to the cross. In verse 17 of our passage today, it says He, speaking of Jesus, was setting out on a journey. So we know he is, he's been going. There's these little markers all the way through. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to down a cross. And in this instance, on the way, somebody comes and throws himself down at his feet. Now we're told in Mark that this man had great possessions. This same story is repeated in Matthew chapter 19. And there Matthew notes that he was young. And in Luke chapter 18, recounts the same story, and Luke calls him a ruler. And so when we put those three stories together, frequently this story is called the story of the rich young ruler. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, 
it says this, uh, as Jesus was going on this journey, this man comes to Jesus. And he doesn't just come, but he comes running to Jesus. He comes running. He is eager. And he is laying aside kind of the, the social norms of, of being casual and respectful. He is eager and enthusiastic. And he doesn't just come running to him. He runs and he kneels before him. A posture of humility, of, of respecting the one who is greater, respecting who is the one who is above. And he asks a question that is not just a, a, a light question, not just a small question. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He goes right for the main thing. He says, I, I, he didn't ask questions about interpretations of law. He didn't ask questions about details here and there. He asked, heaven, eternal life. That's what I want to know. Though this man was rich and had plenty of possessions he apparently had this longing in him that there's something more. There's more to life than just the accumulation of toys. And so he wanted to be a part of what's to come. He knew that his body wasn't going to last forever. And he had questions. He wanted to know about eternal life. That question, the rich man's question, is a question worth pondering. What does it mean to inherit eternal life? How does that happen? Jesus began being, you know, since he's Jesus and all, rarely answers a question like just directly with a simple yes or no type thing. Because, not because he's just avoiding it. He gets to the question. We'll see that. But Jesus likes to answer questions with questions. And many times what he's doing is he's driving at the heart of the person who's asking. He's going to get down below just the surface level question they're asking and get to what's going on in this person's heart. He wants to get to their intentions and so instead of going to the eternal life part of the question first, he first goes to how the rich man addressed Jesus, which was he called him good teacher. So verse 18, Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was pressing into this man's conception of goodness, in part because what he realizes is this man thinks goodness is how you get to eternal life. He thinks being good has something to do with eternal life. So by coming to this good teacher, he thought this good man could tell him about being good. Jesus points out and says, no one is good except God alone. Jesus is not denying that he is God or denying that he is good. He doesn't say that. He just said no one is good except God alone. This rich man doesn't know fully who he's talking to. But Jesus is pressing him to say, do you understand goodness and who you're talking to? Jesus then pressed into what he assumes about eternal life and asked him about keeping the commandments. And so most of these come from the second half of the Ten Commandments. He says, uh, about, he says you know, have you kept, do not murder, which is the sixth commandment, or the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. The eighth, do not steal. The ninth, do not bear false witness. The fifth, honor your father and mother. And just before that, he adds in one, do not defraud. Now, I did a fair amount of reading on this. I still just have an educated guess. My guess is that Jesus throws this one in the list of the most famous, you know, Ten Commandments, because he's about to talk about wealth. And anytime there's wealth involved, there's a temptation to take away wealth from the poor, to defraud other people. And so he's reminding him, even in this topic, of an important part of that. But again, just an educated guess. So all those commands, though, what they have in common is they're all horizontal. They're all about how this person, this man, rich man, and all of us relate to the people around us. In verse 20, the man replied, I have kept all of these from my youth. What do you think was going on in his heart in that moment? 
Many people think he's being prideful, arrogant. I've kept all these from my youth. I don't think that's what's going on, though, because Jesus responds in the next verse with, with tenderness and compassion. And Jesus rarely is compassionate or, or tolerant toward arrogance or hypocrisy. I think instead this man has been raised in a, a solid Jewish family who has taught him the law. And to the best of his ability and all the external ways he knows, he, he hasn't committed adultery, he hasn't stolen, he hasn't, he hasn't murdered. And so he's, he's honestly answering the best he knows externally. He, is, he has kept these commands. He's been raised in a good family to do the right thing. Similar to the way Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3 that Caitlin read before earlier. Before Paul knew Christ, he says, As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. There was a teaching that essentially you could externally be blameless in the law. You could keep all the laws in the best, in some, some form of outward way. But by pressing into these parts, these specific laws, Jesus is revealing where this man has put his trust for eternal life. He may keep all the horizontal laws. Yes, that may sound good. But he's about to point to the ones that he hasn't kept. Verse 21, Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Praise God that he loves us enough to look at us. Amen? We certainly don't deserve a passing glance from the creator of the universe. And yet he looks at us. Praise God that when he looks at us, he loves us and doesn't disdain us. That is grace upon grace. And praise God that He loves us enough when He looks at us to tell us when we are wrong and not just let us continue to go about our business. Praise God if we have friends who love us enough to do the same, to tell us when we're wrong. What did Jesus tell him? Verse 21, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Now Jesus has pressed down to the deepest part of this man's problems, the heart problem that he has. And he's done it in a way that is, is specific to this man. And yet also in a way that teaches us a truth about eternal life. He teaches us about the path to eternal life. And that teaching is this. The way we enter into the kingdom of God is by treasuring Jesus above all. Enter the kingdom of God, and the only way into God's kingdom is by treasuring Jesus above everything else in this world. If there is anything that you are holding more close to your heart, more sincere, that you love more than you love Jesus, then we don't know Jesus. Enter the kingdom of God by treasuring Jesus above all. Jesus was offering this man an invitation to leave everything and to come and to follow him. And what happened? Verse 22, it says, The man was disheartened and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Disheartened, sorrowful, but the most telling part of his response is he went away. The invitation was, come follow me, and he went away. He was so close, wasn't he? He was so close. He, he had riches and possessions, and he, he knew in his heart that this wasn't enough. He knew there was something about Jesus. Maybe he's got the answer. 
He ran to him. He knelt down before him. He asked him a good question. And yet, when Jesus answered, he wouldn't take it. He went away sorrowful. He was unwilling to follow Jesus. He was unwilling for his, for his heart to be more in love with Jesus than his own stuff. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and it's by treasuring Jesus above all. For this man, all was too much. Maybe if the man, if Jesus would have said, give, give 10%, give a quarter, give half. Who knows? Maybe if, even if Jesus had said, give three quarters, maybe he'd have said, okay, I'll follow you. But all was too much. Maybe if Jesus would have said, you know, just here's some more good deeds for you to do along the way, then maybe the man would have said, okay, I'll come. But all, all was too much. Jesus proved to him, yes, he may have externally kept commandments uh, five through nine, but he has proved just now in his response that he hasn't kept the first commandment, which is you shall love the Lord your God, or you, you, you shall have no other gods before me. He has made his possessions his God. He would not trade following Jesus for his possessions, so his possessions are his God. He loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. The only way into the kingdom is by treasuring Jesus above all. This is the repeated time and time again teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Matthew chapter 13, 44 to 46, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all, not half, not 10%, not three quarters, sold all that he had and bought that kingdom. The kingdom of God is not an addition into our complicated lives. The kingdom of God is worth saying, I'll leave it all behind and follow you alone. We don't tack Jesus on to a version of our good life and call it now full. It is a whole heart endeavor. Jesus is first above all. He is worth infinitely more than all the things of this world. So if the things of the world have your affection, if the things of the world have your heart, your desire, your love, then you don't know Him. You do not know Him. Is your heart captured by, enamored with, desiring, seeking after, loving the stuff of the world? And you haven't been all in. You haven't been all in. Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mark 8, 36, For who, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul or forfeit his soul? What do you love? What do you treasure? What do you value? I came across an anecdote about how to trap a monkey that I'm pretty sure is not actually how you trap a monkey. When I Googled it, it was almost always used as an anecdote to tell another point. So with that disclaimer that this is probably not scientific, I still think it makes a good point. Apparently, there is one way to trap a monkey. Probably not actually accurate, but you can hollow out something, say, like a coconut. And you can put a chain through one end of it and tie it to something like a tree. And on the other side of the coconut, you can cut a hole, but a hole that's only barely big enough for a monkey to get its hand in. And then if on the inside of that coconut you put something that's like a, a whole handful, like a handful of rice or a banana, 
What happens, supposedly, is that a monkey will come, put their hand inside the coconut, grab a hold of the banana, and then be unable to get their hand out. And so now you have trapped a monkey chained to a tree. All the while, he could just let go and escape. But as long as he's holding on to the banana, he will not let go. Again, don't try this at home. If you want a monkey, there's probably another way. But the, 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 the truth of that parable, so to speak, is clear enough, right? If there is something you're holding on to that's trapping you, there's a way out. <laughs> let go. But it can be so hard. It can be so hard to let go of the things of the world, and we are trapping ourselves to a coconut. And we're stuck. We're chained. If you're going through the Gospel of Mark, we're meant to see the passage right before this is the opposite of this one. Who came to Jesus right before this rich man did? Children. You know how the children came, we said last week? They came with empty hands. And here, now here's the rich man, probably not just with, that, with one hand on a banana. I mean, he's got all kinds of possessions, right? He's all wrapped around it. And Jesus says, you just got to let it go. You got to come to the king empty-handed. You come in service to the king not bringing your bananas. We come as one who is turning it all in, all in with Jesus. The kingdom of God, the only way to come in is treasuring Him above everything, above everything. Here, this man's temptations was earthly possessions. So you recognize, I hope, that you could change out the thing and the same truth would apply. For example, Jesus gets a little bit closer to home for many of us with Places like Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The principle there is the same. If we treasure earthly possessions or family or a job or a career or status or social media followers or anything else, if we treasure something more than we treasure Jesus, we've got our hands stuck and we're unwilling to let go. We're unwilling to say, I follow Jesus above it all. Above it all. Some will say this sounds a little bit more challenging than the way we've been taught about salvation. Perhaps you know, and it's a, a great verse to hold on to, Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. And many people have been taught, hey, if I, just, if I pray this prayer, if I say these words, I have been saved. Do not replace the Almighty God's miraculous work of a heart transplant with a magical incantation of some words that somehow puts pixie dust over you and calls you saved. This is far too important. This is about the condition of our hearts. What does Romans 10, 9 say? It says, believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. The, the, the letter of James tells us of what belief is not. He says, do you believe that God is one? Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Belief is not believe in your head that God is one or believe in your head that God sent His Son and raised Him from the dead. No, believe in your heart. It's about what do you love? What do you treasure? If God does not have your affections, if you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, not just know about God with all your mind, but if you do not love Him with all your heart, then you don't know Him. Then you don't know Him. Salvation has always been a heart issue. And if we treasure our possessions, our wealth, our status, our family, anything else, if we treasure it, if we deeply love that more than we love Jesus, we don't know Jesus. There is one way into the kingdom, and it is by treasuring Jesus above all.
what is tragic for this rich man is he was so close and yet he has miscalculated the values before him. He has laid things out on a chart and said, what's, what's, how much is this worth and how much is this worth? And he's waited out and he found out, he, he felt like his possessions, that that was worth more. And, and that's what's hard, right? Is he had a lot of possessions. He's thinking, man, I got the boat and the lake house and the beach house and the frequent flyer miles. I can really go anywhere I want. I mean, maybe if it weren't for the lake house, maybe Jesus would have been more, but I got to give up the lake house too. I'm going to stick with my stuff. Thank you, Jesus. He waited out. And he said, no, the value of my stuff is more than the value of Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, Paul does a similar cost-benefit analysis. But in his case, instead of it being stuff, it's his personal righteousness. Philippians 3, he says, he was, he was a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So that's him making the same, same list. Same song, different, different verse. Instead of it being the lake house and the stuff, he's saying, here's all my moral goodness on this side. He says, but, Philippians 3, 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Do you, hear the, do you hear the value wording there? The surpassing worth. I treasure, I love, I adore. It is more valuable to me the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We have to see that when Jesus comes to us and says, leave everything behind and follow me, he's not tricking us. He's not giving us a bad deal. He's not hoodwinking us into something that's a lesser life. He's giving you eternal life, the valuable, beneficial, beautiful, awesome, incredible joy of following Jesus today and forever. He's not tricking you. He's offering you joy, true, abiding joy. If we are picking our stuff over following Jesus, we are, we're picking a far lesser good. We're, we're, we're playing in the mud pies. We're, we're not enjoying the delights of all that God has to offer us. When our hearts are pulled and stuck to and chained to a material world, we don't recognize the value of what's eternal and what God has given us as a gift. The rich man tucked his head and walked away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. There's so many things the wealthy have. He says it's going to be hard. They're going to weigh out. They're going to play the value game. And they're going to be tricked over and over again. And the disciples are, are amazed at his words. They're confused by this. They, they had the assumption that, that wealth was a blessing from God. And many times it is. But they, the disciples, man, the wealthy, those are the people God likes. And if, if, God is, if they can't get in, who can get in? Again, he says it, uh, verse 24, it says they were amazed. In verse 25, which is a, a, a favorite verse for all of us, you know, kind of middle class people to misinterpret, right? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus says, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I did a little bit of homework because I was curious about an interpretation I, I've heard. There's a misinterpretation that started somewhere between 900 A.D. and uh, 1100 A.D. that claims that there is a gate in Jerusalem. Perhaps you've heard this. I've heard this many times. That was so small that it was just, it was just big enough for a camel to get through if the camel would get down on its knees and kind of scooch 
through the, through the gate, right? Well, you didn't have to, to Google that and find out that th that gate didn't exist you know, in Jesus' day to know that that's not what Jesus was teaching. So that gate was first invented some thousand years after Jesus. But you can just read the passage and recognize that's not what Jesus is teaching. Okay? That, that teaching is along the lines of, you know, you've got to humble yourself and try really hard to be humble, and then you can, you can you know, kind of eat your way in, right? If that's, what, if that's what Jesus had been teaching, the next thing the disciples would have said was, huh, that does sound kind of hard, but if we try, if we do our best, we, we can do it. And, and Jesus, the next thing he would have said was, yeah, you know, guys, just, just try. You know where that gate is? You know how awkward that looks for that camel to get through there? But, you know, the good ones, the well-trained ones, they can do it. No, what's, what's the next thing Jesus says? Jesus says uh, that when, when the, the next thing the disciples say is, who can be saved? How can it be possible? And Jesus says, the next thing he says is, with man it is really hard, but try. No, 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 no. He says, with man it is impossible. He doesn't mean for you to picture a gate and a camel. He pictures you to picture a camel and a needle. Little bitty, little bitty needle. He's saying it is humanly impossible for anybody, rich or poor, to get themselves into the kingdom of God. You cannot do this on your own willpower. It is impossible. It is humanly impossible. And it is really hard the more stuff you got because your, your heart is so drawn to the things of this world. Jesus is famous for using what, what, what literature calls a hyperbole, an intentional overstatement of a dramatic picture so that this sticks with you. And it has. It sticks with, stick with so many people, we come up with crazy interpretations of it, right? He wants you to stick with you. The largest animal they would have known, the smallest opening they could think of, so that people would see this is humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible. Treasuring Jesus above all is humanly impossible. You can't do it by yourself. That's what he's telling you. You cannot enter the kingdom of God on your own human effort or desires or energy. If we fixate on valuable things of this world, then we will not enter the kingdom of God. Our hearts are going to be drawn into that. And so it is with anybody that's captured by the things of the world. It may be easy in this moment to say, yeah, those rich people, they're going to have a hard time. But let's just be careful here for a minute that globally and historically, we are probably, many of us, in a pretty high percentage of wealthy. If you've got a car, you've got a home, Historically, we're, we're pretty well off. So be careful not to just point at those rich people. Be careful not to write yourself out of this category. We must be careful that this is not the condition of our own hearts. Because if, if we are drawn to the stuff of the world, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to get out of it. We're stuck to it in our own human desire. The danger of having stuff is we forget we are dependent. We forget we cannot do this on our own. We don't literally pray, pray Give us this day our daily bread because we got two weeks worth of bread in the pantry. We forget to depend upon God. We think of Jesus as an addition as opposed to all. Randy Elkhorn has a book called The Treasure Principle. And he says, our heart always goes where we put God's money. You know that? Our heart always goes where we put God's money. And he says, giving is the only solution to materialism. If you are focused on your stuff, then you're trapped. And you cannot get out of it. Our sinful hearts are broken and we refuse contentment. We're always focused on one more dollar, one more thing. And that is the human way our eyes are focused. Jesus is focused on a, on a heart level issue here. 
But we know this heart level issue has real world attempts, real, real world effects, I mean. And we saw, like, like a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, said a similar dramatic thing, right? We saw where he said, you know, if your eye tempts you to sin, cut it out. And we said, well, he's saying it, you could lust with one eye just like you could lust with two. So you, you could give away all your money and you could still at the heart level be so focused on money. So the, the outward thing won't necessarily fix the heart condition. But he's pointing to the heart so that you and I would say, what, what am I really willing to do? What am I really willing to do? Our hearts can be so captivated that we're unwilling to follow Jesus. To, to rephrase Jesus' early statement, better to give up all you have in this world and enter into eternal life poor than to go to hell as a billionaire. Right? That's the idea here. Is your heart so drawn to the things of the world that you, you, you're, captive, you're captive to it? Humanly, that's where our hearts are going to stick. But Jesus offers a different way. He offers a different way. When Jesus says it's possible, I don't want you to think just like eek by, squeak by possible. He offers an incredible path forward. Peter reacts to Jesus' description like, wait a second, Jesus. The rich man wasn't willing to do this, but, but we are. What does that mean for us? And here's what Jesus offered them, a far more valuable thing than the world has to offer. With God, it is possible and fruitful, both now and forever, to treasure Jesus above all. I'll say that one more time. That was, that was a lot of words. With God, it is possible and fruitful, both now and forever, to treasure Jesus above all. Only God can change your heart. The stuff you can see with your eyes, your heart's going to be continued to be drawn to it until God gives you a heart transplant. That's why salvation is not just a, a waving of a wand or some words. It's God coming and changing your heart. It is impossible with man, but with God, it is possible. God can draw your heart to Him. Jesus is far greater than all the things of the world, and so when your heart sees that, you'll treasure that more than anything else. And the blessing you get, start today. Now, it's not like maybe the world were promised, but listen to verse 29 and 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Did you hear that? His promise is a blessing for today and then we'll see and for the future. What does he mean by blessing us today? We've been kind of skipping over a phrase that's worth just one more minute here. The kingdom of God. It comes in verse 24 and 25. You may just hear that as Bible talk for going to heaven. But he's talking about something today. So it's not just about something eternal. What's he talking about? Jesus is telling Peter, you did leave house and family and everybody. But what you gained is you came into the community of faith. The, the richest among us in here. Maybe you've got three or four homes. That would be bizarre, right? You get, that's so incredible. But as Christians, you know how many homes we have? How many other people are there aren't here? That we are welcomed in one another's homes as a part of the family. Maybe the, most, the biggest family in here, maybe you've got seven or eight biological siblings. You've got hundreds of siblings now as Christians just here. And the church we know is beyond just this building. It's all over the world. We enter into God's kingdom. We enter into the blessing of having all the blessings of our family. And Mark makes sure he captures a detail that, that Matthew and Luke left out. He says, with persecutions. The entering into the kingdom with all these people doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. 
in many ways in this life. But we enter into this community together. And he says we receive a hundredfold, hundreds of homes, hundreds of siblings, so to speak. Still just one Father, God the Father, but we come into this together. And that fruitfulness, that beneficial, what's all possible now, lasts for eternity. Jesus told them, verse 30, they'll receive all these things now and in the age to come, eternal life. Remember back to verse 17, that was the question he asked, eternal life. And now Jesus has answered it. How do you get it? By treasuring God above all. You enter into the kingdom now, and it lasts for eternity. Enter the kingdom by treasuring Jesus above all. John Ortberg is an author and told a story that sounds a lot like the, the monkey trap story. He went with a, uh, a friend of his who was a pilot who had a small plane and was pretty new with his pilot's license, and he was trying to log as many flight hours as he could. And so he invited John to come fly with him one day. And John described this guy as just brilliant. He, he spoke kind of all around the world, was a leader in his industry, was a big, big-time influence in a lot of different places. And so John was just super impressed by this guy. If anybody could fly a plane, this guy could. And so John confidently went with him, and he gets to the plane, and it's you know, kind of tied down on the, on the runway, and, and this guy's got a long checklist. He sets like a notebook that he's going through all the things he's got to check off safety-wise to make sure the plane is, is ready to go. They hop in the, in the cabin there, and they fire up the engine, the propellers go, and it, and John notices, you know, the ropes are still tied, but he assumes it must be some kind of, like, mechanism. You push a button on the dash and releases or some kind of pressure system with a throttle. And, and so the guy puts away his notebook. He's just about to throttle up, and he looks out the window. He's like, I forgot to untie the ropes. And John said, I was really questioning my decision to fly with this guy at that moment, you know. <laughs> but that same, that same thing happens to us. We get, we get so captured in the things of the world. Our ropes are tied. Jesus has invited us, come, follow me. Fly. Let's go. And yet we are tied to the world. We're tied to the possessions, tied to the things around us that we're unwilling to let go of, to give Jesus our all, to give it our everything. Following Jesus is about treasuring all, treasuring everything. You being in church today makes me think you, you probably care more about some eternal things, not just the things of the world. But all of us are tempted to be drawn into the stuff of this world. And that's why Jesus came to work a miracle. If anybody deserved to be first, it's Jesus. He is first. And yet he made himself last, dying on a cross. And then he invited you and me, verse 31, many who are first will be last, and the last first. Following him in the kingdom is being willing to give it all away, to make yourself last, because Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. Enter the kingdom of God. And there's only one way in. It's by treasuring Jesus above 